everybody, welcome to Dumb and Awful. This is Brett at Real Lewis Board. This is Rob at uh, Dumb and Awful. And with us this week, we're in D.C. We're talking to Jordan Yule. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. The capital of the nation watching uh, Chris Matthews' fat face on the television <laughs> as inspiration. Because I'm going to give dumb takes. And if I'm going to give dumb takes, I want to be inspired by the absolute master. The, the working class <laughs> king that is Chris Matthews. So this one I dedicate to my mentor, my hopefully one day friend. And I'll just say it. My God, Chris Matthews, Christopher Matthews. We just saw a segment where they counted the number of laughs he managed to get from a guest. Yeah, they just, <laughs> that was a whole segment. They used, look, touchscreen has been used for some abominable purposes in the past, but they literally just had one of their like <laughs> lesser pundits come on and present a PowerPoint presentation of all the great times Chris Matthews has laughed and made others laugh on his show. I'm really happy sports science has kind of intersected with political analysis. I think it's really cool. We <laughs> can see like, yeah, yeah, we, we've got like, like really granular stats for Chris Matthews performance. That's, that's pretty cool. Now, now Chris Hayes, here's the thing. A pundit at his level can raise and lower his glasses at 6.8 meters per second. And that's what makes him a greater rather than a lesser. <laughs> <laughs> they just have him like all wired up and they go like, just say something about uh, the Kremlin and he vigorously raises and lowers his glasses <laughs> they have the slow-mo version now you can't even detect these oscillations without our technology <laughs> let's go to glasses cam he just be, he's just merging into rachel maddow as she becomes more tired and he consumes more human blood they're just reaching a center point <laughs> Somebody sent him a piss tape is real hat and they've been yelling at him to wear it for it's just something awful bit that's been going on for like a year and a half now. And every so often he'll engage. For real? Yes. He, here's the thing. Something awful got smash mouth to eat the eggs. Yep. Something awful uh, somehow has multiple high level journalists placed at organizations around the world. Do not bet against something awful. I'll tell you right now, I'm going on the record. Chris Hayes is going to wear the P tape hat. <laughs> he will, one way or another. Because they sent one to Chris, and uh, they sent one to Ashley Feinberg, who has engaged with the yeah. joke many nice. times. Nice. <laughs> I feel like Ashley Feinberg would wear the hat. 100%, yeah. That's why that was the first person. She's written about the P tape and like phony P tapes before. Yeah, I was going to say, Ashley Feinberg, <laughs> a great article, by the way. Ashley yeah. Feinberg, one of the, the masters of American letters. Yes. Ab absolute queen. An ex it's sad to say, but one of the foremost authorities on the piss tape. I wouldn't put that underneath her name, on the Chiron, <laughs> on her appearances, but it's, it's not wrong. I feel like Ashley Feinberg is the person where you're like, fuck, this internet thing is sketchy and dangerous and we need a navigator, right? Like you have a boat going through troubled waters and everything else is running aground. You're like, let's call Ashley. Like she's a fucking genius at this shit. Somehow she'll steer around every iceberg and she'll get you to gold. And that gold is uh, pure delecto. <laughs> yeah. Or uh, whatever Comey's account was. That yeah, was the she's really good at finding people's uh, secret burner Twitter accounts. Reinhold Niebuhr, I think, was, <laughs> yes. that was his. Yeah, That's like, <laughs> I didn't understand the banality of evil until I saw Reinhold Niebuhr. <laughs> we get it. You're a dork. <laughs> you don't have to do this. We can see your face. Yeah, her and Kelly Wheel at the Daily Beast are both like, Great deep internet correspondence. So and they somehow kept their mind. I honestly don't know how they do it. Kudos to both of them. And uh, Ashley, wear the piss tape hat. It's, <laughs> it's what the people want. It is what the people want. And frankly, a, a queen needs a crown. 
Yeah, speak of Chris Hayes. Um, yeah, we're going deep on media uh, today, I think. Yeah, we are. I think that's just going to happen. So enjoy the last of hearing my voice. Because <laughs> I have very little out bad going forward. Uh, anyway, yeah, so we're going to talk about the media. Jordan, we were talking beforehand a little bit um, about this. But you've been in the DC scene for a bit. Um, and we were talking about the book. Uh, uh, this Town. We are talking about the book This Town, yeah. yeah. And how it perfectly captures DC somehow. That was my impression as just a shitty consultant in DC. One of only four jobs you're allowed to have here. You know this. It's, yeah. it's consultant, lawyer, Stephen Miller, or media. Yeah, right? Those it. are the only jobs that exist. Yeah. Underpaid escort at the local Marriott. You're, I'm sorry, right. Five jobs. Is that why you're here? Or? I mean, <laughs> look, the he's only Polish, way, so he's always underpaid. Only, yeah, that's true. And the only way I can really confirm that is if you subscribe to Patreon. That's Patreon. Oh, okay. hey, there you go. <laughs> yeah, no, I thought the book, so this town came out in... 2012, 2013, Mark Leibovich, who is the New York Times uh, Washington correspondent at the time. I don't know what his title is now, but he basically wrote a tell-all about the D.C. political and media scenes and how those two intersected uh, at a professional level. And sure, you know, if you were just a reporter in another town and you, you know, just got to know these people, you might have some, you know, cordial affiliation with other people. Right. But it's like, it's another level here. And he was prompted to write this book after going to Tim Russert, speaking of Chuck Todd, but like, you know, the former Meet the Press host. At his funeral, he was looking around and saw all of these reporters and all of these politicians and pundits and all of these grotesque, you know, beltway figures swapping business cards, making appointments for their next TV hit, talking about things like when they're going to get dinner, these next parties, all of these things at a fucking funeral. And it just showed him and to the reader, how smarmy this community is, how, how gross uh, and, and, and how much overlap there is between politics and media. And the, the media, as we see it, is an institution that should hold people like these politicians to account, hold people in power to account, expose their wrongdoing. And because of this Ideally, coziness, yeah. we turn, the media largely, he argues, turns a blind eye to a lot of their, their wrongdoing. From an outside looking in, so like I'm not a DC or New York person, although I fucking you are a New York now. person now. That doesn't wow. make me a New York person. Living there doesn't make me. I, I wasn't like a Mississippi person when I lived there. Rob's thinking about whether or not I'm, I was. I'm just, <laughs> how does one become a person with a geographic tag uh, prefix if if not by living in that space? Also, you have a douchey podcast, which is like the most New York thing you can so possibly wait, you do. Live you're in literally Brooklyn a and have a podcast. Yeah, yeah. no, never mind. Woo. You're right. You're, you're basically the most Brooklyn guy, period. How's your hinge account going? <laughs> <laughs> fucking hang myself on the XLR cord later. <laughs> How many of your friends have Epstein wasn't murdered uh, theories? You're a New York uh, dude. <laughs> all of them. <laughs> it, so that book, I'm assuming not much has changed. You said it was written in 2013. Right. Now, I'm fundamentally opposed to books because like, there's a lot of words in there. They take yeah, a while and you have to focus them, the whole yeah. time. Like... Or there's a new Madden out. Like there's only so many <laughs> hours there's in a the new day. Call of Duty out, man. There is a new Call of Duty. They have a Metallica song as a fucking trailer. Like that's right. That's how you know it's hardcore. Yeah, it's fucking one cool thing on top of another. How do books even <laughs> compete? Like fuck off, Aristophanes. Like <laughs> I don't even understand what you're saying half the time. But this makes sense to me. Uh, the fact that Tim Russert could die and and Chuck Todd uh, allegedly could have nothing to do with it, but be at the funeral <laughs> networking. 
Well, like, I, I assume it hasn't gotten better uh, in the time since. I mean, I'm literally watching Chris Hayes uh, stand in front of a PowerPoint that just says different, more secure system. And I, as is so often the case, I don't have the volume up, but even if I did, I wouldn't understand what's going on. This isn't speaking to me. I don't know who this is for, and I don't feel like it's helping anything. Um, is that sort of the takeaway of what's going on in the book? Sure, yeah. I, I think, it's, as, you, as you pointed out, things have changed. Things have evolved. We've seen new outlets develop and, and, and you know launch since that rely solely on those relationships, right. uh, namely Axios. Um, What's that mean? Can you say more about that? I don't so Axios is a access model. It's an access to journalism model. So they rely on cozy relationships to people in power for scoops. It is a rapid response. It is an immediate, you know, when they have a scoop, you get an immediate email. It's very brief. Um, it runs on a platform that is a fluid design to, to increase page views. But basically... Nothing about Axios is ever really in-depth. I think the most in-depth you could get is probably their TV show. And, you know, there's a whole different right. conversation around, the, you know, the, the depth regarding TV reporting. But on their website, it is, it is access journalism. So it's, we are friends with, and we know everybody in the White House. We will never criticize them. But when anything happens, we're going to get it first because of that. So they get tons of scoops. And as a result, they're not going to ever push back because that would jeopardize the entire model. And these are former Politico people. I was going to say, Politico's yeah, that whole sounds thing, like Politico. Politico's whole thing was like, own the morning or whatever. Yep, yeah. Political playbook is like, and yeah. they, t they talk about it a lot in, in this town. It's this morning email roundup that is just the most self-congratulatory, like, circle jerk bullshit it really exemplifies everything he wrote in that book. It's, oh, these people were seen at a party together. These people were seen at this restaurant. Uh, and there was a famous thing in the book or an infamous thing in the book where he talks about Eric Holder or something like that or, or Rahm Emanuel being seen at a CVS in DuPont Circle. It's like, who fucking cares? But just like stuff, riveting. Yeah, but it's just like what that's is the like, actionable effect of that? Nothing. Who's like, at a CVS in DuPont. But My God, Rom, you're a madman. They're man. trying to create this like <laughs> TMZ of DC. I think it's I mean, just they like they do say that like DC is just like Hollywood ugly, frugly yeah. people. Yeah, but like who gives a shit? But if that's your currency and that's what people will rely on, why would you ever jeopardize that by criticizing them? So Axios, they rely on access. They got dragged like six months ago for that Trump interview they did. With Jonathan Swan and, yeah. the, and he's just like licking his boots. Yeah. But you know who did that? It was Libby Watson. It was people like Splinter. It was people like Gizmodo. And oh, yeah. And people got fired now. Yeah, that makes right. sense. And it was the people who criticized it are the ones that are going to be, you know, beat back by billionaires and, and you know, corporate interests. And that was but about the birthright citizenship thing. That's why he got dragged so badly, yeah. too, because he was saying something like demonstrably horrific. Right. And they were so excited to have an interview with the president that they were like, he was ecstatic to hear about a new racist policy. Right. Like, over and the And then moon. it's just like the perfect example of how Axios operates. It's we have this access because we've never criticized them. We are always going to be congratulatory. All we're going to do is take what you say. We're just a conduit to the people and we're fast. That's their model. If that's what you want to do, I mean, sure, more power to you. I think that's spineless. Because I, I really like, the, I, I don't quite understand all of these terms. When you say Axios is like access-based in their model, mm -hmm. 
one, is this like an explicit thing, like where they sell themselves? Like, hey, our model is all about access based. Uh, number 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 two, that's as opposed to what and three. If there's a different model, if there's a more like mainstream model where the Axios way was more novel, uh, what is that paradigm? Because it feels like all of it is access stuff. Like I've seen the White House Correspondents Dinner. Sure. And this goes back to, and we were off mic, but that goes back to the difference between DC and New York media, which we can get into in a little bit. But like, so Axios, they don't like lead with we are access journalism. That's mm-hmm. not like, like, you know. So it's not an explicit thing. It's no, no, no. But it's, it's implied because, you know, they. If you're doing scoops, you have to be access is kind of what it sounds like. Sometimes. I mean, okay. you can do, you can be like Ken Klippenstein and actually do investigative do reporting. Do investigations. No, yeah. Sounds, yeah. no nobody yeah. does that. Yeah, that right. I mean, really he's hard. like the only one. God bless him for that. But, like, you've got people who basically just say, like, we're going to cozy up to everybody. And, again, this isn't, like, explicit, but it's what they do, and it's what a lot of people in D.C. do. It's we're just going to cozy up to everyone, and what they tell us in gossip or at happy hours, all that kind of parties, we're going to run with. Fox does this with the right, you know? Everyone on the right wants Fox to have their exclusive because it has also has the biggest audience. So... Axios might not lead with that, but it's implied because of how they operate and what they publish. They never publish stuff that's critical of really anybody in power. And it gets a, a wide audience. You know, Mike Allen had a big name when he left Politico and came to Axios. Yep, yeah. Oh, um, Mike Allen's at Axios. Yeah, yeah, he helped launch it. So that, and then the alternate, the alternate model is just kind of like the adversarial journalism. Like, we're always going to push back against people in power. We're always going to be critical. We're always going to scrutinize you. Uh, and then in an ideal scenario, they'll also do investigations. But... You know, nobody really does that because that takes a lot of time and, and a lot of, yeah. And it's like, those always don't provide the best returns on investment, but it's important. You know, people used to see that as a necessary evil financially, but no one really does that anymore. So it used to like sell going deep on things and doing investigations was at least something that you could monetize. And now, cause when you say like the Axios model, that just sounds like the MSNBC model, the CNN model, the Maggie nightly news, the, the Maggie Haberman model, like isn't everyone doing that? So the difference between MSNBC and CNN and then Axios is just like the how they profit. So MSNBC and CNN have the have carriage fees. Okay. It's that's um how much if you are a cable subscriber in your package you might pay like 90 cents a month for MSNBC, uh 66 cents a month for CNN. Actually those are inverse, those are the opposite amounts. But then you pay like two dollars for say, Fox. I was, I was about to, to throw you a fact check. You pay. On you. you pay. I was going to so say that's, you, a, that's you a three follow, I didn't realize that you guys followed the carriage. Well, here's fees the thing: you talk carriage fees like you just stepped into the fucking dojo. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. You pay. You pay more for CNN. My bad. Because also you pay less for MSNBC because it's also bundled with CNBC. Um, what a fucking deal! Oh yeah, right. But M, uh, Fox, you pay two dollars. Um, so you, that's all bundled in your cable package. You pay a specific amount. And then all of that is bundled and then just routed to the channels. And that's how they make their money. They also make money through advertisements. Web reporting, which Axios does, is a totally different thing. Mm-hmm. So because of their design, they have this fluid design. This company, Rebel Mouse, is what uh, provides their layout. It's a very That's f- a terrible name. Let me let me stop you right there. Awful name. I can't It's a I, very web design name though. I know the person who started the company, so I can't say anything specific. I like I like them. Yeah. I like the model. It's just like they just happen to But there's plenty of delightful the, the people that have uh, terrible names. Uh, look at most of Eastern Europe. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway, I don't trust. I don't think she'll be listening. So, <laughs> look, <laughs> nothing is your we're show. Banking on nothing. That. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway, so this this platform is designed specifically to increase page views. Okay. And they have these short bits of information that they get from their personal relationships with these people. And it's basically like safe bootlicking gawker. And they just get people on board. Yeah. They get people on board with this information and they just, just you go on and then you just scroll forever and they just, just rack up the page views. And that's a model that people are still into. Cause I, I know with them, uh, one tree hill partners or whatever the fuck it is with the uh, <laughs> herbs herb spanfeller his whole yeah. thing the guy that just uh killed deadspin for all intents and purposes his whole thing was like page views page views page views like it worked in 96 it'll work now too uh or my understanding was the industry is more about like engagement engagement the time on site that sort of stuff so is axios just like got some sort of arbitrage thing where they found people that are still into this particular modality and so they just pump out the clickbait it's a little bit that they got a ton of private investment so it gives them a lot of runway the partnership with hbo helps yep they have a tight ship i mean they they they've got a solid model but the the thing is they are they're never going to challenge power right that's what this all comes down to and i think a lot of this intersects with like class privilege and it intersects with uh this kind of beltway mindset and I, I know this term is thrown around as like a political uh cudgel it's used to often uh disparage progressive platforms and uh, proposals this beltway community right uh, but there truly is in a media component this beltway mindset around media and, and politics and how these people communicate and interact and socialize, there is a severe problem with that, and it disadvantages everybody else outside of this small little circle uh, in their social club. It leaves them at a, a severe disadvantage. So Axios isn't really the problem, it's a symptom. Right. And this is just how Axios is like the perfect example and almost the utopian example of how a corporate media infrastructure in a new digital age would operate as private investment it doesn't challenge power it has a ton of clicks it gets easy like like synthesized information to people who aren't as familiar with what's happening mm-hmm. and relies on personal connections um outside of that it's not yeah, it's not fucking dark yeah it's not unique though that's the thing it's just like they are one of the more stable enterprises uh, outside of that it, it also intersects with the problem we have with local news people don't really understand the importance of investing in local news. We're seeing uh, local papers close up shop Mm -hmm. because people aren't paying for it. A lot of people just don't want to read. And also local papers have never really understood how to make the conversion from uh, print to digital in a profitable way. Or if they do, they do something dark like the Tampa papers where they merge and they start uh, fact checking. You can thank Tampa for that shit. For PolitiFact? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that came from Florida. Yep. So that's where that's when they succeed. That's Do you want to go down that route? Because I have a lot of thoughts on. on oh yes, oh, oh, really? Oh, let me let me settle in here. <laughs> All right, yes, I do. Because I would love to talk content. about that as it relates, especially to Glenn Kessler. Oh uh, yeah, no, oh, get his yeah, let's, 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 let's do it. King, go in. <laughs> well, so no, you you're from Florida though, and you have yes. a lot of thoughts. Let's uh, have I'm you talked Tampa. Have you talked about? Oh, I have family in Tampa, but we can talk about I'm that sorry. after. 
like it. I like it there, man. I like Ebor City. I like uh, Ebor is the one that you were allowed to like. Yeah, that is yeah, actually the Ebor one location you cool, can say. Man. Ebor is cool. Amazing Ebor is cool. food. You can just like, go see cigars get made. That's, the best non Kulak cool. Cuban population in the country. Yes. Well, so now that we've identified the very minimal redeeming aspects of Tampa, let's get Talk into about all the other shit. It's yeah, terrible yeah. byproducts. Politic, politifact. So you've got problems with it. So growing up, there was two papers. There were St. Pete Times and Tampa Tribune, right? And then they merged because the, the financial pressures that face all local papers happened, right? So they merged together. And then it still wasn't enough. They became the Tampa Bay Times. Still wasn't enough to keep them alive. So they started PolitiFact. I think that's legitimately, you can correct me on this, that's like the first fact-checking like specific thing. I mean, I, I don't know which came first, that or something like um, Snopes, but PolitiFact was like well... No, you're right. Snopes was first. You know, well-recognized. It won a Pulitzer. Right. Like hugely, it, it worked. Yeah. They got to say like, we're doing good journalism sure. and we're doing fact-checking. And then fact-checking spawned this. I'm like, I will hate Tampa Bay Times forever for surviving off of creating an industry that allowed like Glenn Kessler to, to fucking become a thing among others. Like fact checking is abhorrent now. Yeah. Glenn Kessler is now like seen as this kind of pioneer in fact checking journalism. <laughs> um, Exxon Mobil, uh, that's grandson. A, that's a thing. It's like every single person in his family has some like deep old money corporate tie. And, you know, I, I in some cases I want to be a little bit generous about how, you know, their family lineage and that kind of stuff impacts their work. Mm. Um, but how how do you ignore for this guy? Uh, he, he's got shell money. Exactly, yeah. He's got, like, multiple, like, cancerous uh, anti-environment families or a family, like, businesses. Even on his Wikipedia page, it's just, like, it is a who's who of, of, of what his, his family has done. So uh, here we go. His he, <laughs> he is the the great grandson of John Baptiste Auguste Kessler, who was largely responsible for it's the growth name. Right. Yeah. You, know, you know, classic blue collar guy who was largely responsible for the growth and development of the Royal Royal Dutch Shell. If company. You had to pick one Dutch Shell company, though. That's it. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's the one. It's, it's Royal. So yeah. The one that's the best didn't one. Even start as a corporation. It literally started as an. Out, I started as a, a body of the Dutch government colonial <laughs> system that became a corporation. That's where the money comes from. <laughs> and then he was also a grandson of the Jel Jeldorf. Uh, I think you're doing a great job. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Kessler, who helped create the Dutch steel industry. You know, casual. Oh, steel too. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Casual guy. I like the idea of a family that can look at Andrew Carnegie and be like, you ain't shit. <laughs> <laughs> he was born in Cincinnati where his father, Adrian Kessler, if you know Cincinnati, you know what the big corporation is there, was an executive at Procter & Gamble. Jesus Christ. If you've ever had palm oil in any of your products, <laughs> the environmentally destructive palm oil, which Paul, uh, you know, Procter & Gamble refuses to stop using, among many, many other environmental quandaries, this is just like his, his like three generations of the Kessler family, and now it's Glenn Kessler who wants to split hairs over environmental proposals. There's no way that would affect his coverage as a true Pulitzer Prize winning, I think, now. I think so. They definitely submitted him. I remember that and 
gagging a little when that happened. Uh, Pulitzer Prize winning fact-checking journalist. And you can thank fucking Tampa for bringing that scourge of the earth on us. So and this is just one I saw this week where Booker says more people have done from, died from gun violence in his lifetime than have died from war. And Glenn Kessler did a, a column on this comment where he said, okay, yeah, Booker is right. But that also includes people who die from suicide from guns. Yeah, it's gun violence. Yeah, it's a dude, broad category. I, look, you man, have, I'm with you. I am with well, you. Like, well, someone like, think of the Glenn gun. Kessler. You're a fact checker. <laughs> He's right, but no, you are done. But He's the thing right is, Glenn, fucking Glenn Kessler's whole bit is like, hey, if this thing was something different, he would be wrong. And that's his whole bit. It's fucking infuriating. That's us. Also, like one of the few times Booker is right. Like at least give the man his due. He literally makes up fake gangsters to associate himself right. with. Yeah, but the fact checking thing is like another outcropping of like the weird media industry. And so, like even with Kessler, you can kind of see it. Like he's not an access guy. He just comes from a background in which he's never going to really hold powerful people to account, unless it's already in his own interest, which. I mean, he's in, he's invested in literally every evil industry, so I don't know who that is. Yeah, his interests become very internecine because at the end of the day, he is powerful. Yeah. Right. And I, I don't think it's like he's a, he's not overtly going every day into his columns like, mm-hmm. I need to protect Shell. Right. He, that's his perspective. And if you really, if you want to talk about it, we, we can. Like, you have a system that takes people from Harvard and Yale and all of these other Ivy League schools and very little from other institutions. You might get people from OU or Northwestern who... Northwestern, uh, not as bad as University of Chicago, I have to say. And more, <laughs> fun, more fun basketball team. Politically, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the lowest bar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, wow. University of Chicago is filled with psychopaths. No, you, you, you take these people from elite institutions and upbringings and you bring them to a national media who's tasked with safeguarding people's interests Mm -hmm. and challenging the powerful. And when you have someone with a background like Glenn Kessler, it may be passive, but the end result is ultimately protecting corporate interests. I feel like that's like an inherent misunderstanding of the way corruption or even like, let's use the nice uh, business word for influence works, which is everybody thinks it's like somebody's giving you money and then you're doing the thing or you're inherently like rubbing your hands together and going like, I'm going to do evil shit. And that's not it. If everyone you interact with is a wealthy person, then all of your politics are going to be informed by what helps or hurts the people you know and care about, right? Like if you're not hanging out with normal people, why would you be, you don't have anybody in your circle who's going to go like, damn, this policy really fucks me. Like this sucks. I'm, I'm getting crushed. Cause like I, I'm in a food desert or like these taxes or whatever. Like instead it's people going, I'm not going to afford that third house now. Fuck. Yeah. The environs really do emphasize, like the environs really do impact a lot. That was one of the reforms that people were pitching about the sec in the wake of the, the great recession is that, uh, SEC regulators would be positioned at desks at the iBanks. So if every day you're swiping your Goldman Sachs ID to cross the West Side Highway and sit with a bunch of Goldman Sachs people, that becomes your milieu. Yep. And it leads Absolutely. to the concept of regulatory capture, right? Where the regulatory bodies are, for all intents and purposes, working with and for the people they're supposed to oversee. And when they inevitably move on to the next job because the government job doesn't quite pay enough for them to live the lifestyle 
that even if they didn't want it at first, when they're exposed to all these people and eye banking around them, right? Yep. They start to want it. They start to see themselves as undervalued. Now, when they're making their decisions, they're not thinking about you or I or even their own agency. They're thinking about, well, how can I help out the people around me who are sounding off on these things? To dumb it down as much as possible, think about your most problematic friend and the things you would say if they weren't your friend versus if they are. Now, imagine those problematic friends are fucking powerful (laughs) and your job is to criticize them. This is the issue. Right. And this is true of a lot of people that identify as liberals, right? I'm sure Jake Tapper thinks that he is defending democracy, that he is looking out uh, for the American people, that he is upholding very important standards, norms, and the decorum of our entire system of governance, which was designed by very wise men, the framers, so that we might set a guiding light, a shining beacon of democracy to the rest of the world. I'm sure he believes that, but when you have these class interests, uh, it sort of it makes it very difficult for you to serve the public writ large. And so, if we could sort of turn things to the way that the media environment in general uh, is maybe not serving people as well as it could be. To to circle back, Mark Leibovich, who wrote this town, talked about how the intersect of the political and media classes resulted in this kind of deferential to power uh, political analysis. No one was going to challenge. And that's how we got on the Axios tangent. This is kind of what you were talking about where it's like, get with the program. Otherwise you're ostracized. Totally. The media environment is no different from, you know, consulting or the military industrial complex or politics. Like either you're a team player or you aren't only being a team player in media involves, you know, a really pernicious effect on the fourth estate. So if I lived here, and I, and, I, and I wrote for, uh, let's say, you know, I don't want to pick anybody. Just I'm gonna, <laughs> Let's just say the DuPont Circle Tribune, right? So not a real paper, but let's just imagine for this hypothetical. So we'll just say political. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hypothetically. <laughs> and I, I am a White House correspondent for this institution. And it is a well-read, well-circulated paper and website. And I go in there every day and I write articles like Kellyanne Conway lied, Trump lied, uh, Mick Mulvaney lied. All these people. Got their ass. Yeah, right. So like (laughs) on Twitter that might do, you know, a little bit well, but like. Yeah, well in a very specific context. Sure, sure. Are they ever going to give me an exclusive? Are they ever going to let me sit down one-on-one with somebody from the administration? No, because the power lies ultimately in those institutions. And then the power in the media relies on that power. So Axios, who we talked about at the very beginning, relies on that relationship. They will never question or challenge or push back against any of that power. And you talked about the Jonathan Swan interview. Mm-hmm. He, a, a, objectively grotesque policy, 
He's sitting there lapping it up like, oh my God, we're going to get, we're going to be the first institution. We're going to be the first media outlet to get this story. Where did Jordan Yule go? Where did Jordan Yule go? Oh, it's Jonathan Swan here. Actually, he's Irish or something like that. He's got like an Irish or Scottish accent. I'm imagining if you are another media outlet where you're facing economic precarity constantly, like it's hard to keep your company afloat or your organization afloat. And you see Axios getting that level of access how do you respond? How do you justify uh, the way you are doing business when you see a, a more successful, uh, greater access organization right in front of you over and over and over getting the scoops that you aren't? Isn't the argument for access journalism, and this is what like Haberman has tried to claim before when people yell at her, that like, well, you're positioned so that way when something really horrific happens, like they can tell you about it. Like the implication is that at some point I will hold them to account, right? And like, clearly that's never going to happen. But if that's never going to happen, if you're, there's no actual like barrier high enough for you to actually go like, fuck, it's time to burn this, this bridge so that I get, I, I, I can actually hold them to account for what they're doing. Then aren't you just a propaganda mouthpiece at that point? Also that like, that is literally how scams work. You go like, no, it's really good that you sent me that first thousand dollars. But here's the thing. <laughs> I'm going to need another $500 for real this time because we're really getting close to pulling this thing off. Ooh, you know what? I'm gonna need 5k and a cashier's check, but you're gonna want me. It's good. We're so close, right? The fact that Maggie Haberman's gonna be there when that crisis moment comes. But how many crisis moments have we passed already? And uh, when is this bet gonna pay off? When is all of our tolerance for this level of access journalism going to actually serve the people? We're three years in. I, at some point. Oh, you're pointing at me. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, you know more about this than me. I, 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 no, I, I think that's, I got distracted by MSNBC because it's just so visual. That's the whole plan. <laughs> anyway, read Lennon. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I think I think the I think the scam analogy like actually really made me think, which made me because I have ADD, I start to like wander around. The well, room. you know, people often say that I'm thought provoking. <laughs> Everyone's always saying, I'm always saying that. Everyone is saying that. That's Everybody. something that's just circulating around. Yeah. Always provoking those thoughts. That at dumb and awful guy, he makes you think. <laughs> yeah, right. But sort of like uh, wrap all this up because we're just largely talking about like power in DC and New York. Well, mostly DC and the media specifically. Like, I guess to me, the, the question I've always curious, not you've done this for a while, is like, do you feel like DC media specifically? actually cares or represents the interests of regular people like you're from ohio do they give a fuck about us not from here no i, <laughs> I mean no yeah no oh, there we go you could think about it for a couple <laughs> seconds if you wanted to no, dude i think about this way too much uh no they don't give a shit yeah so i'm from youngstown ohio i'm from the heart of the rust belt you guys are florida. from many places florida baby yeah but you're ultimately from florida yeah. um but you're not from Politically important, Florida, right? You're not from. Sadly, no, I'm not. I am. Okay. Our hanging so, chads got old G dubs. So you're you are in the in their conversation, right? So you're from what Miami Dade County? Broward, baby. Oh, Broward. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah, we More were even recent. worse at ballots than <laughs> yeah. uh, Miami Dade County. So, but but I'm but, you know I'm not, and millions of people are not. Right. So no one gives a shit about us. No one cared. When the steel factories were closing, no one cared when, when GM was shutting that plant. When GM, well, even before that, when GM was slowly letting shifts go, negotiating with the union, and then the union to the local the media's praise was negotiating, you know, making concessions. 
to GM the corporation. And then what happened? It fucking closed. Like, where where was MSNBC then? They were too busy about Manafort buying fur coats. They were, <laughs> they were too busy talking about how... He did buy some wild fur coats, though, huh? He did, but, like, how does that impact people in, like, Missouri? Right. How does that impact people in, in fucking Arkansas? And I think that, like... So we talked at the very beginning about the media and political ecosystem in D.C., how those intersect how that informs social decisions, how people make their reporting decisions based on that, and how access relies on those relationships, right? Mm -hmm. So you have this system where no one would ever challenge the status quo. At the same time, over the past 15 to 20 years, you've had a steady decline in consumer power. You've had the weakening of unions. Mm -hmm. You've had people more and more relying on multiple jobs you they lose their uh their their retirement what little retirement they may even have had you have people more and more slipping into bankruptcy into poverty where they're just living paycheck to paycheck and you have a media ecosystem in dc that turns and looks at them and just says you're racist you're the problem you're at fault here as they sit there and fucking gulp down their fucking caviar, their $300 steak, as they sit there with Ted Cruz because it's funny. When they argue that Stephen Miller should not be accosted when he's enjoying some chips and guac. Right. When they say, hey, the architect of this this child, uh, this child immigrant policy that puts them in cages, hey, don't yell at them at their $300 uh, a plate Mexican restaurant. Yeah, listen. Yeah. I just, I just be got nice my, to them. I just finished on my Peloton. Yeah, uh, I got to go to my Mescaleria where every drinks twenty dollars yeah. plus. Hey, hey, look, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get in good favor with a bunch of cretins from the Trump administration that I'm going to see at this cocktail party on Saturday. I'm trying to put out a good tweet right now that says defend them as you suffer. As you live paycheck to paycheck. What you as need you is put decorum, three, actually. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you in Des Moines. Hey, you in Youngstown. Hey, you in Gary, Indiana. You you person working three jobs that collectively brings in 30000 as I bring in two hundred. you need to change your ways. Fuck that whole system. Watching post-Trump them try to reckon with it and go like, all right, well, we've, we've established an expedition of these journalists and they're going to go into this very savage territory in Iowa and discover what it is these locals really care about. And they come back with the results and they pour over them and they go the redneck safaris. And they go, well, now that we've, now that we've finished our safari, what we've discovered is that these savages are, it's as we thought they're just even dumber than we expected, (laughs) but we don't need to change. And that's the good news. The, the, The thing that bothers me is every time. So Youngstown is always ground zero for this kind of shit. Yeah. So it's it's rust belt, it's post-industrial, it's also an area that 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 in, in to an exceeding degree, I wouldn't say majority, but way more than usual went Republican, so it went Trump. Mm-hmm. So this is an area that typically went 30 to 70 Republican to Democrat. So, you know, 70% Democrat, largely liberal area because mm-hmm. it also housed a lot of union people. Lordstown is within this vicinity. Um, and then it went 
And a lot of reporters were like, wow, how did this happen? And they went in there and they said they would go to predominantly white places and they would just splunk into diners and restaurants and all this bullshit. And a lot of it was Selena Zito, who if you follow her path. <laughs> Ugh. But you know who I'm talking about. It was like she largely shaped the narrative around Youngstown uh, with help from the chair of the uh, political science department at YSU, Youngstown State University, who is an open Republican. These people shaped the narrative that said, hey, no, these people were actually, you know, all these people are Republicans. And then that led to this, like, this extrapolation saying all these people are racist, when really it was just people who truly, Youngstown is one of the most impoverished areas in the country who saw NAFTA decimate their their jobs, take away their jobs, take away their family future. And it was all hinged to Clinton, but no one explicitly would ever say that. And then you'd have people like the New York Times who would just, you know, kind of skin these articles and be like, hey, all these white people say uh, this and that. And exclude any black perspective from their articles. There was an article just like two or three months ago that went to Youngstown, went to, uh, I think it was either Avalon or uh, MVR, one of the mainstay Youngstown institutions, only interviewed white people in a city that is 50-50 black. (laughs) It is just like, it is half black, half white, and you go into the city and you only interview white people? And it's like all these people are, are concerned about the Democratic Party going too left. Yeah, that also that ha- that's extremely pernicious, and I think that's where class, uh, as we talked about previously, inflects itself on it. Is when you uh, uncharitably go into these spaces and say, you know what, they're just they're dumb, they're racist, they feel like you're too radical. It minimizes the possibility space for future elections, right? It says, you know what, the prom wasn't. Uh, poor candidates that don't actually speak to one's material interest. The problem is you guys overreached. So Medicare for all, take that off the table. A wealth tax. The wealth tax is really going to alienate uh, coal miners in West Virginia. Right? <laughs> it sets the table so that next time you'll take less. And taking less over and over and over is something that people in these communities, they have had to do. They have not grown accustomed to it because they've seen their share of the pie shrink and shrink and shrink. And in 2016, they looked for the non-status quo candidate. And after the Dems robbed them of that candidate, they went to Trump, right? But if you actually want to do earnest reporting and understand these people, it's not hard, right? Just listen to the trillbillies, you know, (laughs) just listen to the actual people. And there is a real thirst for candidates that speak to their material interests. The people know bullshit when they see it. And some people from Princeton going to a greasy spoon and being like, I'll tell you what, uh, they said some uh, terms I did not enjoy with. We're not as far along as we thought we were. Better pull back. That's not the answer. End of soapbox. uh, (laughs) I agree with everything you guys just said, but I think... um People are saying this more and more, you know, especially, but I mean, like look, drop an episode. <laughs> <laughs> look, I mean, like, look, 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 look at the fucking TV right now. You've got, you know, this guy, oh, I saw Jeff Bush's name, but this is the thing. This is Tim Miller. Okay. Who used, he used to work on Jeb Bush's campaign. And on the left side of the screen, you had Jennifer Rubin, the Republican Washington post correspondent. These are the two people, lifelong Republicans who are tasked on the quote, liberal, media outlet to talk about impeachment right now 
This is on MSNBC. Why the yeah. fuck are two Republicans on MSNBC to talk about a liberal issue? And I think it shows it's it's a perfect example of how even you know as they portray themselves, liberal outlets will kowtow to power to the establishment to corporate interests they don't want to ever challenge the status quo so here you have a panel of two republicans talking about an explicitly liberal issue and you have this fucking republican with a republican columnist <laughs> debating it yeah there is nobody on screen right now uh that is left of these two no <laughs> no this is just full platform on msnbc and by the way if you are any like normal person in the south or the midwest or actually on planet earth watching this you cannot relate to this you just go well this is fucking bizarre and check out and go i guess no one's speaking to me and you'll wait till that moment when someone or, does or you're someone who i think a lot of people who rely on cable news their information for whatever generally kind of hapless you know i think i think us yeah i think people in our circle our personal circles are way more critical if you are the passive person watching yeah. at home you're not gonna know you're not gonna know tim pushed the soros conspiracy you're not Fuck gonna know, to know jennifer that. you're just gonna see washington post and because of what trump has told you you're yeah. gonna think the Washington Post means liberal. You're going to think she is a, a, a fucking AOC stan. Yeah, but what I'd like to believe in my heart of hearts is that no matter how passive they are, they saw that Tim was associated with Jeb Bush and they know he's a cuck. <laughs> man, <laughs> I don't know, man. All right, I got one more thing here. Is this the game? This is the, and we don't even have to play this. It's just I, I we were in the car. Today. We're just going to talk about Neil Strauss. That's what. That's no, what no, that that we <laughs> can't. Like, how do you, okay, here's no. a scenario, hypothetical. No. How do you neg? All right, it looks like we got a mix set. I'm going to come with an indirect opener, obviously from a sixty degree line. Uh, you how do you, be how do you peacock? How do you isolate? Guys, real quick, as I adjust my rings, uh, who lies more, men or women? Anyway, I got to get back to my friends real quick, but. Those shoes just look so comfortable. Where do you get them? <laughs> um, no, so like uh, we won't talk about the election. That's not really what this this podcast does. But you know, representation is important, and you know, by the time this comes out, you guys will know what's up. Like uh, this was a good election for sort of the left, you know, in a, in a couple different cities in Virginia, whatever, um, and that's great. And I, I like to see. You know, I like to see the trans community. I like to see POC represented. I, I like to just to see uh, representatives that more accurately reflect the American populace. The woman who gave the finger to Trump on her bike. She won. She's representing the American populace, right? Yeah. But there's just, there's one subset that I haven't quite seen yet. Gamers. Uh, well, we've got Hunter. Uh, what's his name? <laughs> the vaping, steaming uh, congressman. But and this is close to my heart. Um, I don't see people from my community, the incel community, <laughs> in Congress. There's 435 voting members in the House of Representatives, and you know 100 people in the Senate. Buddy. And I just thought, and obviously we know the. I got, well, I got one for you. We know the executive branch is uh, ruled by an incel. <laughs> but I was curious. Maybe the reason we don't see incels winning elections is because actually crypto incels already have and so the game the thought experiment i posit to you <laughs> is if you had to guess gun to your head uh how much of the current congress 
is incel. <laughs> An incel congressman. Here's the thing. I, we don't even need to do or it specifically. You could just do the aggregate. So if out of 435, what? because no, if you said 250, I'd be like, yeah, no. No, this, this checks out. But if you said like, <laughs> if you said 10, I'd be like, well, you know, power is sexy, Kissinger type shit. So the thing is like, how do you describe it? Because like, I think a lot of people in Congress see everything in their life as transactional. Mm -hmm. And as some sort of like, I think that the tweet that really summed it up for me recently was about Pete, where they said he is a uh, like almost like a Boy Scout, where everything is a sticker. Oh, hundred percent. You know, so uh, I don't think many people in Congress are actually in cell. I think a lot of people just treat it as stickers, like the Pete, mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. Pete thing. I think people see I need to be married. To get elected. Shows you're reliable. Shows you can commit. Yeah, all yeah, yeah. All the Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross I bullshit. think it's all facade. Check the box, yeah. But if I had to guess, I would say at least 40% are completely sexless marriages. Damn. That would be... So it's not... So it's kind of Volso. Yeah, but not in a... Um, not in a personal pride and ethical way. It's like a secondary effect. As a Volcel paladin myself, <laughs> I understand it is about pride and ethics. That's but you're the you're stay the, out of my DMs. You're the anomaly, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, you want to hear this Cassandra story? I'm yeah. ready. Oh, I just want to do the math real quick. Forty percent of like five hundred people would be like that's like two hundred members of Congress. You think are just not dude, fucking? I, I honestly, it could be more than that. Okay, so uh, 2014. Early 2014, which would have been the 2013 NFL season. Okay. Seahawks and Broncos. Okay. Is Tim Tebow the quarterback right now? No, it is. Um, this is a Kucinich story. This is a Kucinich okay. story. Right, I'm, I'm fucking in. This is like one is of those things. I, yeah. can't, I can't remember. No, it's Peyton Manning. It is yeah, Peyton, no, Manning. Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning. Orton had yeah. left at that point. Uh, versus Russell Wilson. Oh, Orton, okay. rest in peace. Seattle Seahawks defense when they were at their peak yeah 12th uh, man i get it 12th man hell yeah i am at a super bowl party i won't say which um specific interest group or social cause on the left but it is a gathering of people in that effort all right end of the first quarter knock on the door hey someone opens it up what's that oh it's it's dennis kucinich and his wife, Jackie. Yo, this party just got kicked up a notch. I think, wife, I think his wife is Jackie, right? It's either Jackie or that's his daughter. If you're asking me if I know Dennis Kucinich's wife, you've gone off course. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> Dennis, Dennis yes. Kucinich and his wife come in. So Dennis Kucinich's wife is at least a foot taller than him. Oh, for sure. Tall queen. She, Love to see yeah, it. She She's according is, to Amazon. Yes. Red hair, tall, slender, you know, attractive woman. Dennis Kucinich is like five foot four. He's a fucking Keebler elf. Keebler. Good policies, he looks like, but he's a Keebler elf. Right. You know, progressive guy, Jeff Sessions aesthetics. <laughs> <laughs> that Jeff Sessions energy. So, you know, it's like, he's hey. Got, he's got that, that Bernie policy and that Jeff Sessions <laughs> aesthetics. You know what we're about. Okay. So they come into the party. And there's everyone, you know, bring your own snacks, that kind of stuff. Yeah, it sounds like he brought his own snack as oh, well. Oh, he did, he did. And he also brought a box of Luna bars. You know, the king shit. The, the, the dietary group, the dietary snack bar that primarily appeals to uh, women and people who are trying to severely cut down on their calories. 
That's um, so deranged it already. Is, it is, and it gets weirder. So as the party goes <laughs> on, they're just kind of hanging out, and by like the end of the second quarter, Dennis Kucinich is sitting on his wife's lap. And it's just like... <laughs> just nibbling a Luna bar. Hell yeah. What, what's up, fam? Cool, man. And Dennis Kucinich spent the rest of the 2014 Super Bowl sitting on his wife's lap at this house party and just like no fucks given this was entirely normal can i ask you just for my own visual yeah now are we talking her legs he is closed like, uh, he's on the side like, or is, is he just straight between is this a lap uh, dance type scenario no, 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 or is no, no, he riding no. side saddle? he is he is okay i'm i'm pointing to my kneecaps right here for the audio for the mm. listener his butt does not exceed like three or four inches in on her thigh. He is like on the tip of her kneecaps. He's like sitting on Santa's lap. All right. So. I can't even like, I can't even describe how weird it looked. And like, people are still talking about it. I need to just, Bro, don't kink shame. Yeah. First of all, hey, that dude, fucking if that's rules. what you want to do. But also okay. that fucking every theory I've ever had about that coupling just fucking clicked into place. Yeah. So Thank number you for one, image. Dennis Kucinich. Rob is looking it up right now. Dennis, well, I'm not looking up Dennis Kucinich. I'm trying to see if his wife has a Twitter because, you know, is it Jackie queen. or is that his daughter? <laughs> Here, Elizabeth Kucinich. Is that his wife? Uh, oh my God. See, Honestly, I also kind of love that because I the, the, the suspicion Six people had for a tall. long time. All right, I might have to break my oath. Hey, let's find out. <laughs> let's see if she's on Twitter. I might have to get in those DMs. No would you okay? Would you guys ever sit on your wife's lap? I'm six three. That's a I'm not hurting anybody. Right, she's seven foot. You sit on, <laughs> <laughs> you sit on her lap, buddy. You know what? I'll go I know. I try. I'll commit to this Ooh. right now. You find me a, a seven Brittany foot slav. I'll sit <laughs> on that lap. <laughs> <laughs> you, gotta be, you gotta be about good giving in games so like i'm gonna oh, shot i'm not gonna talk shit i'll try it i just okay. I, I love that because i always i always worried worried because yeah, kucinich yeah. was you know back in the day like the only progressive who actually fucking spoke up about anything sure, sure. um so the concern was always that like it was a purely sexless marriage she was attracted by the power kind of deal right she is 31 years younger than him yeah oh. Dude, that's why everybody fucking. assumed it was like a sexless power thing. Yeah. The fact that they just have like a beautiful kink relationship yeah. is honestly kind of heartwarming. Look up Dennis Kucinich. There's someone for everyone, guys. Yeah. Like the, the fact really, that incels exist is insane. It when is you see Dennis so, Kucinich and his wife. That is so true. bizarre. I keep saying this. If Dennis Kucinich can fuck, all of us can. <laughs> so, oh, my yeah. God. She should just wear heels every single day. And by the way, you'd be able to if you were with me, girl. So just let me get in those DMs. Hey. Listen, we should all be following Dennis Kucinich's wife. What, yeah. what is her Twitter? Okay. At EJ Kucinich. That's E-J-K-U-C-I-N-I-C-H. And the thing is, if you Google her, uh, in a lot of the images, she's with Dennis. Um, and like Dennis is like over her shoulder, which means she is literally kneeling to take that photo. <laughs> this is delightful, though. It was I, weird, uh, man. It was so weird. Oh, she's a Tulsi person. She's, oh, a, she's Tulsi a Tulsi person. Fan. She's a Tulsi stand oh, too. Oh shit! Look at her feed. <laughs> oh no, oh, no my phone just died. God. Tulsi oh, shit. Fuck. It's all Tulsi you shit. <laughs> the light peeked through the curtains for a moment, and God just slammed them. Dennis shut. hasn't posted <laughs> since. Dennis has not posted since uh, 2012. 
That honestly, that's probably healthy. Yeah, that he just seems out. like Good he's going him. from strength to strength. Dennis Kucinich. Yeah, dude, he's going from congressman to a wife true pimp and a king. Sitter. All right, sorry, I, I can't do podcasting anymore. Uh, I, I have to, <laughs> I have to go think about need, this for a while. I need to text while. like eight people. I'm going to take a very, <laughs> I'm going to take a very cold shower and then reorganize my life. <laughs> uh, all right, y'all. This uh, thanks for listening. This Bye. was Brett Arillo's board. Uh, we had Rob at Dumb and Awful. Um, and we had Jordan Yule at Jordan Yule at Jordan Yule. Yeah. Damn. I, I love it when it's easy. I yeah. was actually afraid for a second. I was like, does he have a weird ad? I don't think yeah, he does. Yeah, dumb enough. One. You have to know how to spell Yule. Good luck. No, fuck Pretty that. No, 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 no. Don't tell him. Don't tell him. Yeah, you know what? Put in some work. Invest yeah. in Jordan Yule. <laughs> and then you'll have all that free content knowing that you're there a, you a bit you less of the, a leech. This Michael Tracy interview. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, thanks for listening you all uh, you can follow the show account at dumb awful show um, join our discord um, we do all sorts of dumb bullshit during the work day and um, lots of gaming lately we also have patreon we have back episodes uh, we do additional content as well you can subscribe to that and uh, all of course always algorithms run everything so any review you want to give us is massively helpful we really want to continue to beat every other comedian in Poland and we need your help to do that all right, guys, we're out before we go. Uh, obviously, we saved the more, most important question for last. Um, Jordan Yule, uh, obviously, when you were jumping and popping, you were jopping. Would you say that <laughs> on this podcast, you were, in fact, jopping? Yeah, I think there were moments where I was jopping uh, <laughs> higher than other moments. But, yeah, I think there was a steady stream of jopping throughout, uh, especially off mic. I think if people could have been here for the off mic conversations, they would have seen oh, we like, definitely dropping Oh my God, dude, the dropping that happened here after, after those conversations, if only you could have been in the room and that's, <laughs> and that's the kind of stuff you get on Patreon. So <laughs> <laughs> that, that is so true. Dumb and awful Patreon. Keep dropping guys. Keep job. <laughs> All right. Thanks y'all.